Here we go. Hey there, folks. This is your host, Cameron Ivey of Privacy Please, and thank you so much for tuning in each and every week. If this is your first time, welcome to the show. Tell your friends about it if you like it. If you don't, let's just pretend you didn't listen to it. Thanks again for coming in, and we hope you enjoy the show. Alrighty then, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Privacy Please. I am your co-host, Cameron Ivey, hanging out with Gabe Gums on a Monday afternoon. Gabe Gums, how you doing, man? You doing all right? Yeah, I'm good. I'm solid. Gabe Gums in a Monday, a Monday afternoon. I am solid. It reminds me, because it happened not too long ago. I have to go update my LinkedIn profile. I'm a certified yoga teacher now, by the way. Oh, so yeah. I, this whole security thing doesn't work out. Like, I'll be on the beach giving lessons if you want to come on down. I have nothing better to do on the weekends is really what happened. All right. That's so, I'm doing good though. That's stretching, a little yoga. Yeah. Doesn't yeah, hurt. Yeah, yeah. Hey, that's harder than anyone thinks. If you've never done it before, it's super hard. It is significantly more difficult than I had first given it full credit for prior to like diving all the way in. Like I've I had dabbled in the past, but only as a byproduct of some other activities. Um but I've been yeah, I've been full bore for like I don't know, the plague. This is one of those plague things. This is this is one of those plague things that has persisted. A persistent plague thing. But anyway, I'm well. How are you? Doing well, man. Um, you know, living the dream. Yeah, as always. As dreaming. Always. Actually, I haven't been dreaming lately. No? What's going no. on? You getting enough sleep? You're not getting probably, enough? Probably not. I, I don't know. No, you should go read some more privacy books. <laughs> I'll, just, I'll tell you what. I'm just getting boggled down with all this AI stuff. I, I don't oh, know about you, but man. they've just been throwing ai uh like graphics and just situations just to show you what it's like enough i love it i love I mean, it. it's cool yeah we did that whole unplugged episode on it yeah yeah we got to do a follow-up we have to do we have to do a follow-up we have to do a follow-up i i agree too you know it'd be kind of cool have you seen the one with like where ai generated um um uh all like billionaires and stuff into evil like Bad guys like, um, I that. like, I yeah, like Elon Musk and all of them, like those those type of billionaires and stuff, where the AI had turned them into like, like a Joker, like a like a bad guy. <laughs> Some of them are pretty fascinating. It's pretty cool. I'm not gonna lie. I created. I created some mascots for my company using Dolly last weekend, and they're they're freaking dope. I'm sorry, they're really dope. I love them. I'll, maybe we post like one or two of them with the episode. It's freaking fabulous. <laughs> okay. like, look at me, I'm an artiste. Artiste. What, what, what does that mean? But anyway, we should get on with it. We have yeah, we have we have someone we have someone hanging out hanging out in the lobby, ready to come in, chat chat Let's it up. Let them in. You want to yeah, you want to introduce them? Well. We can we can introduce him. Um, he is the founder and CEO of Nandi Security. But let's let's let him tell him to tell us a bit about uh, about himself. All right, let's let him in. All right, right on. There Big he room. is, Big gentlemen. Room. How are Th- you, sir? Fantastic. Thanks for taking the time. Thanks um, for inviting me. Absolutely. absolutely. Well, welcome, welcome to the show. You are. You're about as live as the show gets, really. Um, the record button is is started. We we like to we like to get right into it. Um, that works for me. Yeah, and we we start the show kind of all the time with with one very important question um, for our guests, largely for our audience, though. But tell us about yourself, Vikram. Sure. So uh, personally, I've been in the technology space for well over twenty five years. Uh, did did the dot com uh, boom? Mm-hmm. Uh, or dot com bomb <laughs> dot bomb uh, <laughs> worked for a company uh started out in healthcare it and then in the working in the midwest and then decided to get in on the dot com boom joined a hot ipo a pre-ipo startup we went to ipo we went we were the 30th largest ipo on the nasdaq we were all supposed to be retired right now uh within 365 days of the ipo we went bankrupt uh, for mm-hmm. purposes that were very advanced for that time, the CEO committed accounting fraud, 
Enron and MCI WorldCom all happened after that. So our CEO was like leading the way. Uh, so got wiped out and uh, we ended up getting bought for a bag of peanuts uh, by a big technology company. And I spent years there on the, in the telecom slash CRM space. Uh, and somewhere along the way, life took me down the path of cybersecurity. And I've been in cybersecurity for about coming up on 13, 14 years at this point. That is a story past, my friend. I'm not certain which one of those I want to press on first. Um, first, my condolences for that 365-day period. I, I, I understand. I understand. Um, let's, not, let's not start there, though. You started in healthcare, you mentioned. Was it just technology healthcare? What, what, tell me about that. Yeah, yeah. So um, – it's it's a big company. Uh, Oracle recently, maybe about a year or so, acquired them. A company called Cerner. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they hired me straight out of the university, uh, out in the Midwest. Um, and uh, it's healthcare IT, electronic health records. And mm-hmm. uh, we worked on. Uh, it was very interesting because every line of code you wrote, you had to write ten lines of documentation around it. Because every line of code, what you're considered a medical device. That's right. Uh, and you have to be your, your code has to clear a HIPAA audit. That's right. Mm-hmm. Right. So we were all trained more on documenting everything around the code we wrote. So it was very, very, very uh, interesting from that standpoint, but also for, as a plain coder back then, it was just really, really boring to do. Right? So that's what caught my attention in your background. 1998, HIP is three years old at this point. And I was curious whether or not you had been exposed to it. So here you are today, you sit at the at the head of a privacy organization and your very first foray into the, let's call it the big boy adult um, technology world, the scary one that you would, you would soon come to learn, um, began began on a privacy journey also somehow. Uh, it was a, it was a, it, it, I wouldn't say it began on a privacy journey. We were on a healthcare journey, yeah. but the privacy aspect of it drove our behavior right? uh, uh, every day, right? So mm-hmm. everything we, the rigor around documenting everything you do, whether it's writing documentation for the product or writing code for the product was something that was ingrained in us from the beginning. And then you had this one week or two week period every year when the auditors would come in. Right. right. And you'd be briefed and you were told, hey, you could be one of those random people that are selected where they could come sit in your cubicle and ask you a bunch of questions. And here's how you would answer them. Uh, it's not to prep the answers, but to make sure educate people on how to address these kinds of. Uh, uh, so it was about keeping a trail on everything. Right. So it was a very different world uh, compared to all the other software worlds that I've been in. So. From healthcare IT, when I jumped into CRM, telecom software, uh, it was a completely different world, right? And in the startup space, we we just coded and coded and coded, and we we wrote the code, push it out, see if it broke. Uh, completely different mindset change. But yeah, so I wouldn't say that privacy guided it, but it put a rigor into us. Well, that makes sense. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. So fast forward to today, um, privacy, I assume, does guide what you do. Mm-hmm. Talk to us about that. So what problem are you solving? Yeah, so um, everything in the home today is a computer, right? I mean, you guys covered this in this podcast so many times, right? And for having been in security, everybody in security is very well aware of the repercussions of what that means from a data as well as a security, privacy as well as a security standpoint. Um, Now, we are all, I think, a little bit privileged in that we've had the technical exposure and the, and the know-how as well as the exposure to the kinds of tools and solutions that are available. This is a very privileged world to have that knowledge. Knowledge is power. Oh, yeah. 99.99% of the world don't have it, and that doesn't mean that they should not have access to this, right? So my whole, my whole objective was how do we solve the problem of privacy and security across every device in the home? And make it simple enough that anybody, simple and affordable enough for anybody in the world to be able to quickly adopt it. Now, this may not be the strongest solution, but at least don't be the easy, most easily attackable home in the neighborhood, right? Okay. <laughs> uh, so that's essentially what we started out to solve. So introduce the concept of simplicity. And what we are evolving towards is essentially, you know, cars these days when you're driving, they have this driver lane shift assist thing, Right. And you're driving along the highway and if you veer off or you lane shift and there's a car there, or even if you're driving off the lane, it jerks on the steering Mm -hmm. and gives you a little bit of 
So that's what we want to become in terms of your daily online interactions, right? We are living our lives in apps, devices, and websites. Mm-hmm. How do I become a real-time, simplified steering wheel jerk to guide people and 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 let them know that hey, you're you're potentially risking something from a privacy or security perspective when you use this app or use this service, etc. Now, is this something that you guys have built in the technology to actually pick that out for your users and to kind of message them and say, hey, you know, you need to fix this or this? Yeah, so it's it's interesting, right? So you want to be able to – privacy is a personal choice, right? right. Uh, uh, everybody – it's not okay to ask anybody their paycheck. How, do you, how much do you make in a year over here? In India, it's perfectly okay to not – ask that question. A random person you met for the first time would easily ask you that question. It's perfectly okay to answer that. Mm -hmm. Um, So I I see my job as more about giving people the informed choice and then the tools to act upon now that they make a certain choice. Right. So it's not about saying this is bad. This is good. Well, there is some aspect of it, which is a malicious site or a phishing site. Well, that's a no brainer. But when it comes to privacy, it's about giving people information and the tools to make those informed choices. So it's more about guiding the behaviors so people know and understand what risks they take. Yeah. So, so to answer your question, yes, it's part, part of the core platform and the core philosophy around how we are thinking about security in the home and how I think security in the home needs to evolve. So let me put it in a security language way, right? Essentially, five years from now, I see homes as having their own sick, uh, self-driving sock in a box, right? And it should be click, click or simple and give real time guided feedback for people to say, okay, I, I use this app and, and I may have exposed my family to some kind of a privacy or security violation. Or mm-hmm. maybe I used this app yesterday and something else happened that increased my risk exposure. That help? Yeah, absolutely. It's- I happen to, to – you haven't used the word, although you've used a lot of other words I appreciate in, in describing it, but it feels like you're really democratizing, you know, the, this, the, the, the ability for – well, just democratizing kind of, you know, privacy technology, privacy-enhancing technology. Maybe that's, the, maybe that's the fancy kind of wording I'm looking to put on it. But, you know, as I, as I thought about your product and, and, and the problems that you're solving for, we've oftentimes talked in this show about – not just who privacy is is afforded to, but even the ability for us to own our data in such a way that we can then decide what value we put on it so that others can broker it, right? Like this, th- this feels like it, it, it gives that back to the users kind of um, maybe from the bottom up versus the ground down, if, if you would. Very true, right? So I do, uh, when, I, when I, I think of blogged about it uh, and maybe spoken to, uh, to some uh, media outlets in the same language, which is the the control needs to be put back in the hands of the user rather than in the hands of the companies, right? So uh, there was a there's a very nice research paper that came out from uh, the Annenberg School at University of Pennsylvania, maybe like a couple of days back. Mm. And basically they said said this, right? So you the whole thing right now is based on consent. And you you are you can consent if you understand really what you're consenting to and the risks yeah. of it. Right. And uh, most Americans are not capable of understanding the risks. So you're really, it's a fake consent, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so now you've and and privacy policies are structured in a way that it's not easy to understand or not not uh, for any 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 person, even if you are pretty well trained, right? Uh, so then, how do we try to get get the power back in the hands of the people, right? So most of what you leak, you leak from your home, <laughs> right? And and how about we put an enforcement point right there and then start with that, right? Once you have a good enforcement point, then you add the intelligence to that enforcement point and then connect it back to the person in a simple way so that they can make the informed choice that they need to make. So here's, here's kind of the last mile challenge. How do you get this into the hands of, well, my mother, Let's yeah. Say, yeah. Yeah. So there is a trust issue, right? One is um, anytime we have to install something, configure something, you lose my mom, exact same thing, right? Uh, I wanted my mom and my dad, highly educated people, by the way, right? Very capable. 
to be, but they don't know anything about cybersecurity or, or the privacy challenge. I want them to be able to click, click and do this, right? So first, let's solve the simplicity problem. That's a problem I can solve and I can get with feedback uh, through the people who use the product. The second thing is now how do I get the distribution, right? So at the end of the day, we, the way we do it is one of two ways. We do have a consumer website where if somebody hears about a company, they can go swipe a credit card or not even swipe a credit card, try it for free and then swipe a credit card and then buy the product, right? So we have that, but that's not how we primarily go to market. We work with the people that they already trust, like for example, uh, cyber insurance providers, uh, your broadband service providers, etc. These are companies with whom they already have a trust relationship. So how about offer this through them and 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 work on a partnership model? So that's how we primarily go to market. Makes sense. Makes sense. Okay, so t- typically you don't go direct to home. You go through a provider that is already connected with that home. Yeah, for right. two reasons. I mean, one is also personal, which is I've always been in the enterprise cybersecurity space and in the enterprise software space. I I don't have the consumer experience, so trying to play to that strength is not the best idea for me personally. Uh, but also to address the trust issue. At the end yeah. of the day, yeah. you want somebody trusted to be able to say, hey, go ahead and use this product. Ad networks, they are notorious, notorious for being havens of of naughtiness it was easily i don't know not less than 10 years ago when i was at white hat security and colleagues of mine and myself had all participated in different research around this topic um jeremiah grossman in particular had done uh, a lot of work on exposing some of the uh the very easy to exploit threats of ad networks are they are they just as bad as they've always been what's the real threat from ad networks these days, other than just privacy, or, or is that the real threat from ad networks these days? Yeah, well, more than that, right? So uh, there's, uh, uh, first of all, the obvious danger is they'll sell your data to anybody who asks, right? So mm-hmm. it could be good guys, it could be marketers, it could be bad guys, right? So right there, I see that as like, as a national security issue, right? Knowing if the mother of a specific Armed services member has a specific medical ailment is in fact privileged information, right? And it can be exploited in ways. So, right up front, that's that's a, that's the threat. The second piece is that um, they don't vet the channels that they eventually deliver their ads on. So, um, for example, there are there's a company called Pixelate. By the way, no association. I have nothing to do with them. Just happen to read a lot of the research reports, etc. They put out reports on how many ads are being abandoned by the original makers of them. But people are still using it, and the ad networks are still delivering ads on them. So this could be an insecure platform. Even the developers abandoned it. Uh, maybe it has bad library. Who, who knows? But they don't care, and they're still delivering it. Third, they don't deliver. They don't care about what they deliver either. So I could be a malware vendor, maker rather, and I could create a malware link and make an ad out of it and deliver. They'll happily deliver it. So essentially like the arms dealer, I mean, it's like, would you trust an arms dealer? No, <laughs> for the most part. So if they're just going to be the middleman arms dealer in, in the delivery of the ads, then uh, I think there's more, I think they're more risky than the fact that they just sell your data to anybody at the ask. Is it, Is it that their business model also drives um, the arm, the cookies arms race? And, you know, in the privacy side of thing, we, we've talked a lot about, you know, cookie compliance and, and the, the fallacy that that, that is, uh, you know, and, and some of the things that have been driven by GDPR. But ultimately, I don't know that, that GDPR or otherwise is, is any tool for combating um the, the scourge that is also cookies and super cookies and, and, and nuclear cookies and whatever else we're up to these days. But, yeah. but, what, but what is the current state of, of the, uh, what is the current state of the world as it stands to, to, to cookies and privacy and security? Yeah. So the way I look at it, Gabe, is not about just cookies or whatever, right? I, I look at it as whatever technology will always outpace legislation, right? So GDPR came in and was already outdated, right? So Tableface, I was talking to somebody in in Denmark, right? And this is Europe. They have some of the best privacy laws out there. And and even his attitude was, I've given up, 
I have no control. All my data is lost. I know there's some laws and stuff, but I'm going to be tracked everywhere in everything I do, right? So even after a few years of GDPR, the actual consumer experience hasn't improved any more than what we have here in the U.S., right? So it's not the technology per se. It's the it, uh, it's not the legislation. It's the technology is going to outpace it. So the the and now you have this new Google it proposed this thing called Flocks, and then everybody got angry about it, and then they renamed it to something else. I forget what it's called now, but um, but they have another way in which they're going to be essentially tracking, right? So net net is that these are keep going to keep coming. And I'm saying, let's not worry about that problem at all. Yeah. Right. Let me let if at the end of the day in my home, I have a way to control and govern every packet I send out and every packet I interact with. So how about we just address the problem right there and let the rest of the world do whatever it does. Right. Yeah. So uh, it, it's mm-hmm. a very, it's a very, I think contrary and probably even a slightly pessimistic view of the world, <laughs> but but that's how I'm going, right? I mean, at the end of the day, we, I feel like I should control every network packet in my home just because I have the ability to go Wireshark it shouldn't mean that I'm, I'm, I, I'm the only one, the privilege to do it. My mom should be able to do this. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. So let's, let's address it there and not pay any more attention to, because we could get into the discussion of, okay, what's going to happen now with the metaverse and then what's going to happen now with the wearables and then what's going to happen down with the embedded stuff. Right. And at the end of the day, everything is going to follow all the layers of the TCP IP stack. So let's start attacking it there. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That makes sense. Makes sense. So to that point, what, Vikram, what do you think the, mo- the like the biggest challenge for not only your company but our space in general right now? Man, uh, this is a pet peeve, and I'm I am as guilty, and I don't think I have an answer. I think the biggest challenge is we have a huge knowledge gap in conveying exactly why all of the dangers that we see and we understand actually have real life effects. Right. Even though people are saying, mm-hmm. like I said, I've given up. Right. But don't give up. There's some real dangers to this. And as an industry, I don't think we articulate what can happen to you and what is already happening to you mm-hmm. and how you and your family are being affected. And we don't have a good way of communicating that. Um, there are there's a lot of conversations amongst security and privacy people, everybody understands the repercussions in, I think, great depth. I don't think any more discussion is needed on what can happen. But but we need to be able to show proof of value in on somebody's wallet or proof of damage, not value, on somebody's wallet or somebody's home or somebody's life experience, right? Yeah. There are a few things that are bubbling up here and there which make the news headlines kind of like raise like stock aware and spyware issues uh, have kind of like raised the flag a bit, the whole Roe v. Wade and, and fertility apps again, uh, bubbled it up, but we don't have like a one consistent way of saying, here's how the, here's how you could be affected. And I think we all need to work on it. Me included. I don't have an answer on how yeah. I have some ideas. I think we should take a leaf or two out of the gaming industry and, <laughs> and have some kind of gamification concepts around it. But, but I don't know if, if um, uh, what I can tell you is that as an industry, we failed to educate the general consumer. I think part of that is because it's not fun for, at least there's not a fun way for, for some to learn that, which kind of ties back to, so with your company, does it sounded like you guys inform those homeowners on how to make the best decision on tightening up their privacy is that is that something that you allow them to make that decision but you're also teaching them yeah so we we will block a whole bunch of stuff right so all the bad stuff as much as we identify that we'll just block right uh when it comes to threats uh cyber threat like malware phishing if we see them and we identify it we'll block it second that we block automatically is privacy threats right so one of the things that i wasn't able to convey um, to my mom, my, my family members, etc., is how many times a day you are being uh, affected, mm-hmm. right? Uh, so providing people that, edu- that constant feedback and saying, hey, look, in the last 24 hours, here's how much happened. In the, 
between the times of 6 p.m., uh, 10 p.m. and 6 a.m., your time, look how much happened in your home. You were probably sleeping. And here's what happened, right? So bringing those, those data points out freaks people out. By far in our dashboard, the one data point that freaks anybody out is the 10 p.m. to 6 a.m. data point. People don't understand how much their home is active, even when they are asleep, right? Mm-hmm. On the internet. Um, and the last aspect of it is then give them the control to be able to block anything that they want or unblock anything that they want. Um, and, 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 and add that with some information around it, right? So to be able to say, tell people, Hey, if you understand that you, you interacted with this company or this app or whatever it is in the last 24 hours, and you may have exposed your browsing history or your geolocation to the specific company, right? So knowing that if I know as a parent, uh, my kid wants to play Roblox, but, uh, at, but Roblox collects his search history and, and geolocation. I'm just making this up. I don't remember if Roblox exactly does it. I'm just <laughs> using them as an example. Uh, but if knowing that this game collects my kid's geolocation and uh, search history or browsing history, uh, do I want that to be active on all the time? Right. So maybe I'll block this app and the company until the kid wants to play it and then unblock it while the kid wants to play it and block it again. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, same thing with a whole bunch of other apps, like including wearables, health devices, etc. Right. Uh, and third is also being able to give them the ability to block everything that's third party. Mm-hmm. Right. If we say, Hey, this is not the company you're work- working with. There are third party uh, uh, companies extracting data directly from the app or service. And we can block that giving people that control to block that. That's pretty neat. Um, I just thought of this, but what's one challenge today that we face that you believe will be the first to actually be addressed or fixed in the future, the, the soonest? Um, or well, given one that you hope, one that you hope will be fixed first? Ah, one that I hope will be fixed first is definitely a national privacy law. Right. Uh, we have privacy laws that are scattered mm-hmm. across multiple states. Right. And if I move from California to Virginia or rather to Colorado, uh, whose laws are coming into force this year, right? I don't know how my privacy is affected, right? I, if, I, if I live in California and interact with a company in Colorado, what is my privacy? So it's very hard. It's hard enough to read a privacy policy. I shouldn't have to. Uh, struggle to understand what are my coverages, right? Uh, so a national something equivalent to GDPR needs mm-hmm. to happen in the U.S. as well. Um, I'm kind of encouraged by that because there's so many states. Yes, there are so many states with nothing happening, but there are a lot of states where laws are coming into fruition. Laws are in the House and Senate of those states, etc. Um, and 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 the movement is growing. So I'm 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 kind of enthused by that happening, but I I fear that it will happens, it is going to just end up being state by state by state. And I think we need a national data privacy law umbrella. Uh, but I hope it's not something akin to the passenger bill of rights, which was, which basically gives you, which was, yeah, it was no, it was no use anyway. Right. But something forceful so that people can go back and hold companies to account. It's not going to prevent loss of data, but at least we have some mechanism to hold companies to account. <sighs> So, so the states that we're kind of thinking of that, obviously, you go on the West Coast and the East Coast, and then the states in the middle. There's some. There's probably some people that don't even use internet. <laughs> well, it's going to change. I mean, there's a lot of investment happening around that. But, yeah. but yeah, um, it's hard uh, to even get to the internet still in this country. Believe it or not. You know what? Here's one of those things, though, because I. That statistic is actually wild when you also look at uh, densely populated metropolitan areas. There's a bit of a, a wealth gap also where even access to high-speed internet is is completely bifurcated. So oh. the, the, the map looks weird both in and out. It's You're not wrong, though. It, um, we've had similar conversations about, again, you know, who has access? Who gets access to that privacy, right? Like, cause some of those folks can, can hardly afford high-speed internet access, much less... It's true. Really to protect it into that access. Um, but so what, I forget the statistic, but I think it, something between 18 and 20% of Americans are either in what is called underserved or unserved 
internet areas. Underserved is 25 MB, 100 Mbps or less, and un unserved is 25 Mbps or less. Right. right? And, and the good news is the, the infrastructure bill that has passed includes $45 billion to go lay the last mile fiber as much as possible around the country and get all these people online. Yeah. And there's some encouraging thing. There's some brilliant people even in government, guys. Uh, as part of this, they are actually put out a few pillars of what it means, right? So it's all about digital equity to address mm -hmm. the point of this disparity, right? It's framed under the framework of digital equity. And I kid you not, somebody actually, one of the biggest pillars there is actually privacy and security. Because part of the whole digital equity problem is that just because you now have fiber to somebody's line, a home, does not mean that it in immediately enables equitable access to the resources of the internet, right? Mm -hmm. They have to have equal devices, access to equal kinds of apps, but also those apps have to treat them in the same way, right? Um, so that same paper that I referred to from UPenn, they quote an example that your, the prices for online products that you buy can be different based on the geography. It's not the shipping fee on your exact geolocation, right? So how is, where is the, now there's the digital equity there, right? And where's the transparency there, right? So the problem of equity does not get solved just because you lay fiber and, and provide high speed internet access. I think it just gets started and, and I'm encouraged that people are thinking about it and it's one of the pillars and over time it will get addressed, but right. we need to have the right solutions to address it too. That's a good point. There's just so much going on right now. I mean, last few episodes that, you know, we've talked a lot about chat, chat GPT and AI. Um, I feel like we should just keep kind of, uh, it's a big topic still. And I'm kind of interested in your thoughts around that. And does that present any challenges for what you, you guys are trying to accomplish? Uh, yes, it's all new privacy challenges, right? But I love the marketing around People are getting woken up to the, yeah. to the, dan to the dangers, right? The dangers are also going to come quicker, uh, but it's so good that people are waking up to it and everybody's mm -hmm. talking about it. And I hope that conversation doesn't fall off a cliff and slowly fade off. Um, and I, 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 I may have said this uh, uh, at another uh, uh, media event or podcast, but essentially uh, it's a little bit of hyperbole, but what ChatGPT has enabled is it's a return of the script kitty. Now script kitty has their own, the script kitties have their own, private Jarvis, right? Uh, <laughs> so it's not just intent. You need to have intent and skill. The skill barrier has been like significantly lower, mm -hmm. right? Um, so I think it's important for people to understand then that you don't be the easiest target to attack because the skill barrier is lower. You and your home should not be the easiest target to attack. Mm -hmm. And I think there's all kinds of new venues that, um, you guys covered it in your podcast too, and I read the uh, I, I read the original article as well, which is um, they were able to create AI driven phishing uh, yep. emails, right? Yeah. But the whole chain of attack of that phishing from anything uh, you can actually make AI driven spear phishing, right? Because you can identify if uh, you can pretty much buy off a data broker, or maybe it's just sitting for free in the in the in the dark web. Behaviors about hundreds of thousands of people, right? Where they yeah. shop, what medical issues they have, what devices they use, what apps they use, this is all available. Where they work, who's their boss, you can get this on LinkedIn, Yep. right? And and have targeted phishing emails that go out to them that come, seem to come from, for example, their boss. You just target the Fortune 2000 companies, all of them have finance departments, which is probably numbering the th hundreds, if not thousands. And there are lots of junior people and mid-level managers and you you can be certain that at least one person or two people will fall victim to this and reveal some information. Especially right? with the amount of information that they have now, it's it's very easy for anyone to fall for it. Yep. Especially yep. if they're like not in the right mindset to even think that they're being fished. Mm -hmm. And and that's my worry, right? This can be done at scale and this can be done very personalized, right? And that and it can be done by somebody who's extremely low skilled. Yeah. Right? I mean, if somebody's gonna steal from no, me and no coding uh, experience whatsoever. Exactly. Right. And and that is that makes me very, very, very nervous. Um <sighs> the other kind of uh 
and things that would have taken very targeted attacks, right? For example, producing somebody's uh, uh, deep fake uh, as a voice or deep fake video mm-hmm. uh, and, and, and using that to make a FaceTime call or, a, or even a phone call, right? Things like that can be done at volume. Now you used to be able to only do it in a, on a targeted basis, but it's possible. You can scrape pictures off, videos off of people from everywhere. That brings a, that brings a good point. So two things, let's go positive real quick on this whole scenario. There was something really cool that a, 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 a EDM artist did with Eminem's voice on one of his tracks in a live thing. I don't know if you guys saw that. No, it's pretty cool. He, he was able to take Eminem's voice and write, he had AI write lyrics that Eminem would write. And then it put it together with Eminem's voice. He put it on track in a live show and people went nuts. Um, but to, to bring this back. So do you think that this is going to present, and this could be for you too, Gabe. Do you think that this is going to present a law that can come into place in the future for videos and, or anything that comes out from anyone consenting that that was actually them? Because it's going to get really bad to the point where you don't know if it's really that person or not. Yeah. Um, today, when you upload a video onto YouTube, it does a check, right? It does yeah. a copyright check. And the extent, I think basically that needs to extend up and, and go into images, voices. Yeah. But it also means that you're submitting your image or voice signature into some kind of an authentication database for verification as well. Uh, maybe in this case for the music industry, uh, that makes sense because the, the image and the voice are already out there, but for private citizens, I don't know. Now you have a but whole see, new privacy the, problem. That's the problem though. Cause if, if you have AI, they can write something that someone famous would write, but it's original and it's in their voice. You can't really call it copywritten or you can't, you can't call copyright right on uh, it's, I don't know. It's interesting. It's very, maybe it's not, maybe it's not copyright law. Maybe it's impersonation laws. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, for the same reason, I can't wear a police uniform and go stop a car outside. Right. Uh, Maybe there's laws and there's laws around that. So maybe those can come into effect. Um, I, I, I think this is all new space. And I think this is yet another case of technology outrunning legislation, right. And legislation needs to catch up. Um, and I, I, we just need to be at the forefront of those conversations to make sure that the legislation will at least last us until the next technology. <laughs> <laughs> They're never going to catch up, though. They're always going to be behind. And that's I think that's on purpose, Yeah, as we all know. Yeah. Yeah, I think this is a very exciting space. Uh, the legal aspects of it uh, are, are, are going to be fantastic to watch. Uh, but, yeah, as much as there are going to be negatives from 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 this, uh, I think there's positives too. Yeah. Uh, the gentleman, there's a gentleman uh, who put out a paper around a one-hour startup using how he created an entire startup using ChatGPT. <laughs> it found the problem, provided the solution, wrote the code, came up with a marketing plan, the sales plan, the, and then the exit strategy too, all in one hour, just based on the queries, targeted queries that he put in. So. Maybe the solutions to these will come out fast and maybe chat GPT will frame the law. Who knows? That's true, man. You know what? That's going to make people lazier and also not as creative or take credit for something that was created by AI. All the possibilities, but that's okay. I mean, we'll have to crunch through some of these and manage through some of these. I think they're going to get more creative. Um, I think they're going to get a hell of a lot more creative. It will be interesting. Yeah. I mean, it already is getting super interesting. We're, we're right before you got on Vikram, we were talking about how they've been, you've been seeing a lot of AI stuff where they create like, um, where you can actually, you know, create artwork or like mm-hmm. comics or like just anything. It's just, it's, it's wild. It is just amazing. The world we live in and technology that we have. And it's, it's also cool because it presents problems. It presents opportunities and it presents, um, you know, companies like yourself where you actually, it's just going to benefit, um, all of us to be more creative and, and more jobs and more just future. So absolutely. I'm all for it. It's, uh, I don't know. It's exciting. Yeah. I, I, I think Google is going to come up with a version that 
better than their demo, but, um, and that's, that's going to add value. And, and yeah, I, I think there's more positive out of this. I mean, uh, I've, um, people have been using AI and drug development for quite a while, right? I mean, the outcomes have only been really, really positive. And as these get more intelligent, I think you can only get better outcomes in, in general beyond privacy and security, right? In the right. rest of the world. <clears throat> yeah, it's going to be pretty fascinating. Um, one, one cool question I like to do, um, it's kind of like a fill in the blank, but security and privacy mean, what do they mean to you? What is, what does security and privacy mean to you when you hear someone ask, like, what's, what does privacy mean to you? Yeah. So privacy for me is I want to make the choice on who has access to my information. That's simple. My family's information, mm -hmm. right. Um, and how they access it and also control, which is if, if I don't want them accessing it tomorrow, they have zero control over it. Right. So I kind of look at it as I want a world where have you guys heard of the data collaboration Alliance. Um, mm -hmm. So it's basically a, 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 a multiple companies partnering, but basically it's a framework. It's a nonprofit framework that they put together where people can contribute data, but the guy who contributes it or the person who contributes it controls all access to the data. You can, you can write your apps on top of it. You can write, uh, you can create businesses on top of it. But at the end of the day, that person who uh, originally put the data set out and continues to contribute to it, controls it in its entirety. And if they want to take it away, they take it away. Mm. Right. That's what uh, to me is privacy. Right. I want that kind of control on all of my family's data across every app device and website we use. Right. And which is yeah. th thousands upon thousands of times a day. The security aspect of it is simple, right? I mean, it's, uh, there's known bad. Uh, yes, there's a lot of stuff that will still get through, but for the, it's like, I don't think it's going to get any better than locking your doors and windows and having an alarm system, right? If somebody comes through with a tank, I'm still vulnerable with even with those. So that analogy holds here too. So it's about reasonable levels of security where I can c conduct my life in a safe, in a, in a safe and unhindered way. Right. And control mm -hmm. what other people have access to. That's a good answer. Um, what, do you, what do you guys think? I, I'm just curious. Ooh, nobody's, <laughs> nobody's spun it back on us, Gabe. I think so to me, Hey, what, what privacy means and represents to me is a fundamental right that can neither be given nor taken. Right. Like it goes into it goes into that bucket, how we exercise that right, um, both consciously and unconsciously is kind of what we, we tend to talk about in, in this show. But for me, it, it legitimately just means it, it represents uh, it represents something that no one else gets to to give to me or take away from me. Hence the reason why it's, it's even these conversations are fascinating about the control we know others already exert over this thing that I feel they have, they have no right to quite frankly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. To that point, I, I just think that it's, if you're not, not too aware of who has access to your data already, I think it's fair for all of us to know who actually does. And I think at this point, that's probably hard to, hard to even gather over the years of just data that's been gathered on our information and our family's information whether it's just social media or whatever, but it, w it would be nice to know because if they're making money off of it, you know, we should be the ones getting that money, not, not someone else. So what is very interesting, and I think all three of us kind of said, said this, uh, so it's 2023. So like exactly 50 years back, the, uh, in 1973, there was a fair information practices and procedures. It's on the Epic website. I'll send you the link uh, after this. It was an actual report put out by the Department of Health, uh, Department of Housing and Wellness or Welfare or something at that mm -hmm. point in time, right? And they actually identified the dangers of storing information about people on computer systems. And they actually put out a detailed set of recommendations and, uh, and they called it five specific things. Uh, in that, in that, I'm saying here, any kind of a privacy uh, a framework that comes in or a law should address all these five things, right? Um, it's 
essentially all of us essentially said various parts of this, uh, the five recommendations that they put out. Uh, it's also great uh, in that it covers so much in terms of like, hey, um, you should have the right to know that a system exists and there should be no system that's completely secret that has your personal information on it. If any system exists that has your personal information of, of it, you need to have full awareness of the existence of that system. And then it mm-hmm. builds upon uh, on that as well. But what is also interesting is that how vague it was in terms of the remediation, right? You should have a way to be able to know about that system. You should have a way to be able to opt out of it uh, or have your information removed from it, right? So uh, it wasn't clear back then, but as, uh, what, I'm, what I'm trying to get to is that a lot of what we are all echoing right now is has been actually thought through and codified a while back even, but we still don't have the solutions. It's true. What do you, <clears throat> before I go on to our, our, our lightning fun round, <laughs> um, what, 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 is there anything that we didn't bring up that, <clears throat> that you'd love to bring to attention to our listeners and anything that we didn't get to talk about that you, that you're passionate about that you want to talk about? Um, yeah. I mean, there is an intersection of, personal privacy and, and, and enterprise security, right? Uh, and it's become accentuated definitely after the pandemic because there's remote work, work from home, hybrid work, all that kind of stuff. Um, what is interesting is that there's a lot of work happening in enterprises around privacy, but it's around protecting the privacy of the data they've collected in some fashion and, and being, and I guess the compliance of that, of that protection, right? But I'm kind of I'm kind of still puzzled as to why enterprises are not latched on to. There's a new world now where I almost feel like if I'm going to be hiring somebody, I want and they're going to be working remote out of their home, I, and I'm happy to allow that. Then I, I as an employee would want them to also assure me mm-hmm. that uh, they would protect the access to my corporate resources uh, through their home environment as well. Right. Um, I'm kind of still puzzled as to why enterprises haven't latched on to it, acted on it, et cetera. So let me put a simple example, right? Um, so, so many people still have uh, the default password on their home routers, right? So you can pretty much, and you know the brand, you can look on wiggle.net and figure out that ad- if you know their address, you can look up what router they have and find a vulnerability you can get in or just log in, right? Uh, to not access that simple. Uh, so now I'm in the home, right? I'm in somebody's home. I can now navigate from, say, a light bulb to then onto their uh, work computer. Now, they, people work from home, and they're not always on VPN, right? They may be on the home network uh, and not be able to laterally. Now, I can laterally traverse and get onto a corporate device, or maybe it's not even a corporate device. It's a hybrid device. Maybe I'm using my phone, but I'm looking at work email on the phone, etc. cetera. Um, so right there, you have a vector that is a nebulous pa- perimeter for the enterprise uh, because you can't go and all control this perimeter, but then it's an easiest entry point vector of attack, right? Um, and and after the pandemic, everybody's remote. So mm-hmm. I'm still puzzled as to why there hasn't been more of an emphasis, even if by means of education and training for enterprises to say, hey, employees, you need to, Take the privacy of your, whether or not we work for us, whether you work, work for anybody, you need to take the privacy and the security of your home a lot more seriously than you do today. Because there is a potential world where you could be that threat mm-hmm. to the company yourself. Right. right? And, and it means that you don't completely control or understand. Yeah, that's a great point. I think in the same sense, I would almost kind of argue and be the devil's advocate here and say that I think it's more respons- the the responsibility should be more on the company rather than the individual. Yeah. But I think you're right. I think that not only will that help if we educate our employees and and the people, that's just going to that's only going to strengthen that for the companies for sure. Yeah, some companies cannot enforce it. The only thing they can right. do is uh uh is but I can see a world in which the job description comes that it's remote, but to be able to eligible to apply, you need to assure that you have security protection in your home. Right. I, and I can see a world where that does happen. That's possible. Yeah. 
it's funny too because then you have you have certain companies that will force you back in the office, which I'm not even sure why a company would do that personally <clears throat> in today's world, unless you know there should be an option. But that's just me. Who am I? <laughs> I'm just a guy. I'm just a guy. <laughs> but you you bring up a great point. I think we've talked about it before, Gabe. I think you've mentioned it. I yeah, I, I think you've mentioned it. But um, yeah, that's that's good stuff. Um, and I, I don't think it's being talked about enough. I think you're right. So, um, well, let's jump into lightning round. Let's learn a little little sure. bit more about Vikram. For the listeners, let's learn a um, lot more about Vikram. Yeah, let's learn a lot more. Okay, <laughs> learn all the thing around <laughs> like that. Are you? Uh, are you around where you get struck by lightning? <laughs> I'm sorry. Say that again. Around where you get struck by lightning. That's why we call it the lightning. Ah, got it. <laughs> but not like not the what was that? The Monte Cristo that got struck by lightning recently. Is that what it was? Did you guys see that? What's the thing with the? It's on the mountaintop. Um, I think it's oh, like in, uh, oh, Brazil. Did I get that wrong? What's the name of it? I don't know, but I feel like any large monuments on 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 the side of a hill, if it gets struck by lightning, that's not that's just not news. Uh, that's like, uh, it's, <laughs> well, I think it's because it, I think, <laughs> that's, that's kind of what you get. <laughs> but it, <laughs> I think it was more so that the picture was really cool. Oh, all right, very good. Then. Yeah. <laughs> all right, Vikram, mm-hmm. texting or talking. Which one do you prefer? Talking. Talking? More personal. I like it. I just revealed my age, too. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's turning around, though, because I don't know. I think talking is definitely better to go. I think it just depends. Texting is more about convenience. But I think talking should be. Yeah, I agree. Okay. Uh, Favorite day of the week? Saturdays. Saturday? Yeah. I like it. Um, nickname that your parents used to call you or still call you? Uh, oh man, I'm going. This is gonna, this is gonna hurt me. They're going to listen. To my mom. <laughs> Not just my parents. My friends are going to listen. I'll say it. It's going to hurt, but who cares? You don't have to if you don't want to. It's they used to call me Kickum, like Vikram Kickum. Uh-huh. I guess I made it up when I was a baby. That's not yeah, awful. That's not bad. Ah, stop it. Like kick him. Yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, what's your favorite holiday? Oh, Diwali. Diwali, Diwali. Yeah. Yeah. Now, yes. Stop myself you... to like here. Eat, eat, and eat. <laughs> <laughs> now, is that there's a lot of dancing and stuff involved in that, right? Too. Uh, depends on where you are from. Originally, from I'm from the West South. We're a lot more conservative and quiet. So it's more around the eating and I was going to say after all that eating, firecrackers. Yeah, no, one, no one's doing all that dancing after all that eating. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you what, I think most holidays are just an excuse for us to all get together and eat as much food as possible. I'm okay with that. And I'm okay with that. Yeah. yeah. I mean, actually my, the, the, my, the right answer for me is actually, it's a tie. It's actually Diwali and Christmas both. And for the exact same reason, like <laughs> identical reason you eat right. until you drop. <laughs> and then you just use that as an excuse. Well, it's the holidays. Come on. Yep. It's your second pie. Not peace, but whole pie. Yep. Um, <laughs> uh, scale from one to ten. How good of a driver are you? I on on a safety scale or on a speed scale or on an excitement scale. Let's uh, qualify this. Ooh, excitement. Excitement yeah. scale. I think I'm like a four. A four? All right. Yeah. Tells me I don't know if, know about, that tells me if I need to know about the speed and the safety. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I went excitement, right? See, now I know the answer. <laughs> I, went for no. the, I went for the complex variable rather than the <laughs> elementary variables. <laughs> exactly, yeah. See? How funny would that be if, if, you had to, if you had to score that on like an interview for like an Uber driver or, a, <laughs> a, like, dri- or like a, a whatever they're, all the other ones? Um, that'd be funny. Um, okay, so fill in the blank for you. Taylor Swift is talented. Hey, there you go. All right. You know, I would have always said I questioned her being a country artist because she was definitely more of a pop artist. I didn't really understand that, but I don't know if I know the difference these days, but I'll let it I'll let it slide. <laughs> <laughs> 
Shots fired. Shots fired. Country um, stars. Got a couple. Got a couple more minutes. Um, at what age do you wish to retire? Oh, never. I'd be so bored retiring. Yes, thank you. I just, I just want to do the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. I mean, <clears throat> I want to wake up and solve puzzles every day, and I'm getting to do that now. So, where's the retirement? I love that. Hey, you can always start like you know, start uh, like a what are those uh, escape rooms? <laughs> that's a that's a puzzle in itself. You have to figure out. And, <laughs> oh my gosh! Anyways. <laughs> And share the frustration with four other people. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and take it way too seriously. Um, invisibility or super strength? Invisibility. Hands down. Mm, yeah. I guess I'm introverted. No, no, no. That's the right no, 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 answer. No. no, again, the right answer. That's the right answer. You can get a lot yeah. more done with invisibility than you can. Oh, yeah. You can get a, you can get away with a lot more, too. Look, yes. if I need something super heavy moved and I'm, and I'm invisible, I just, like, sneak into, the to like, UPS. I write up a work order. Like, I have them come move the heavy thing. <laughs> <laughs> like, what's too much strength going to do for me? Like, I don't know. Yeah. I don't need this. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Um, let's see. Cake or pie? Cake. Okay. Uh, and that's for that's just any occasion? That says a lot about a man right there. Any occasion. Chocolate, lava, cake. Ooh. Any day. No occasion needed. All right. So so for those of you listening in at home, not, not, we don't usually post videos at all from our shows. Maybe just, uh, you know, still. Vikram certainly looks like he does not eat all of the food at the holiday table or all of the cake. <laughs> I just want to point this out. So, like, this man is walking around misrepresenting something, but apparently cake and holiday festivals are not safe around Vikram. But you, wear, you wear it well, my friend. You wear it well. Thank you. I can put on a clinic. Given the right kind of food on my uh, on my table, I will put on a clinic. <laughs> right on, right on. I appreciate that. All right, last one for you. This is a little bit tougher. Um, when it comes to every single app that is on your mobile device, which one do you have to use every single day, but you can't stand using it? WhatsApp. Oh. Talk about privacy issues too. Cause well, it's a, it's a vector. It's got, you're also part of various groups and what you get on it is just some of it is just yeah. it's bad on the content scale but it's also bad on the privacy scale bad on the security scale yeah. but i mean so many people are on it it's the only yeah. way to get to a lot of people you have to interact yeah with. if you happen to be part of any diasporas whatsoever it is almost impossible to not be a part of unfortunately yeah, yeah. um yeah no i understand that struggle it is still such a very very troubling platform just because that's 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 a great point that's another thing that i don't think we ever touch on enough in in the privacy industry is there's a lot of things that we're forced into using because we don't have another choice especially if other if so many other people are having to use it and it's like your only choice Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but that's also because we are addressing it at the choice level right that's a holistic choice but what if i had choice on parts of it Right. right, and that's that's. I think what once we started asking that question as consumers, right. I'm sure companies are going to start addressing it have that to way be too. All or none doesn't have to be all or none. Yeah. Any parting words for our listeners before we uh, check out of here today, sir? Um, not really. I mean, I I think we're all in sync. The only thing I would, I think, majority of our audiences are more privacy and security people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'd go back to what we talked about uh, in terms of how we talk to the rest of the world and, and not just in designing the solutions, but also in conveying the value. I think all of us have work to do. Mm-hmm. We just need to collectively put our brains together to come up with a way to better, better educate and better enable everybody. Yeah. Well, that's why, that's why we have people like yourself come on the show. That's why we started the show. Um, all we can do is continue to educate and try to just learn together and build and, and, uh, hopefully it'll just continue to grow and grow in this industry. So we appreciate what you do every day, Vikram. And thanks for so, so much for coming on the show. Likewise. Likewise. Thank you for having me. Thank you, sir. Till next time. Hey, you guys made it. 
all the way to the end. Thanks for listening. Again, if this is your first time, we really appreciate the support and everyone that's always been around since the beginning. We love you guys. Keep supporting Privacy, please. And we'll always have new content each and every week. Cameron Ivy, over and out. Thank you.